Bibles tonight and open together, please, the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, as we continue to make our way uh, toward the end of this particular letter, we're thankful for God's uh, mercy and God's grace. And uh, as we come here, again, uh, the final chapter here is really a summation of what uh, Peter has already stated in the opening two chapters. And we're reminded at great length of uh, concerning all the things that God has done and, and the great blessings and promises of God and the life that He's called us to. And not only the life that He's called us to, but the provision that He has made for you and me to live that life. And the Lord has called us to glory and virtue. And, and by God's grace, we can live the Christian life. Every one of us as children of God can live a life that truly glorifies and honors Jesus. Right. And, but you can't do it apart from Him. Right. There's a great... Uh, there's a great... Uh, oh, this, hold your place here. Let's look in, in John chapter 15, just by, by way of introduction here uh, this morning. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And I, I believe the great lesson in life is learning to abide in Jesus. So oftentimes we go throughout our day and, you know, we might pray in the morning, maybe read our, our Bible in the morning, but we forget him uh, along life's journey. We, we might leave him at, at, the, uh, at the dinner table where, we've got our, where we read our Bible or pray. We might leave him there in, in that quiet place, in our prayer closet, and we go out and we live our lives. We go over the course of our day. And we become enamored by the things of the world, overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, and we soon forget the Savior who purchased us. But Jesus makes the statement here in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. He says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And then here's the great lesson. Of course, Jesus is the vine. He's the one from which, from which everything we need to live godly comes. Uh, my my brother-in-law, he, uh, he likes to, to make uh, maple syrup. You know, in Michigan, there's a lot of maple trees. I don't know if you knew that or not. But he'll go out and he'll get 200 gallons of sap a week. And he'll take it and he'll boil it down. And what is that every time in, in, this, in the springtime, as life returns to God's creation, as, as those trees which are dormant now again produce leaves and fruit, all that sap begins to run. And it would run into those branches, into those shoots, and it will cause those buds to come upon the trees and, and those flowers to come and those leaves to pop. And it's, it brings life and it brings fruit. But the reality is you and I, we need to learn to abide in Him. Years ago, I watched something on television. And how you can, how you can graft trees into certain things. So I remember I went out and I cut all these limbs. And, and if you've seen, you can, you can actually graft a tree. You can put something, you can, you can notch a tree. Harvey, you probably know all about this. Uh, I'm not telling Harvey anything he doesn't know. He's probably going to tell me a few things afterward. Uh, but you can, you can, you can put that, 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 that twig into a tree and you can seal it and that will become part of that tree. So long as it's the same species, obviously. 
remarkable thing. What happens if you cut that branch off the tree and you never re- if you never reconnect it? How many of you have ever? Uh, my wife loves flowers. How many of your you husbands, your wives love flowers? Hint, hint. Okay, there you go. I got your backs, wives out here. Okay, this week your husbands are going to buy you flowers. But you go and you buy these flowers, and you put them in in the vase. You put water in that. And for a while, for a while they stay green. For a while they act like they're still alive. But they're dead. Why? Because they've been removed from the vine. You know, that's like you and me. We can pretend that we have life. But after a while, our lives will begin to to wilt. We'll begin to wither. Begin to dry up and dry out and be good for nothing. That's why Jesus says, abide in me. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Period. Christians, we, as we look back in 1 Peter chapter number 3, tonight we're going to look into a few verses here. And it's important to realize that we're going we're to address some things. We must realize that without Him, we can do nothing. You know, so oftentimes we, we, we get up and we give all these facts and all this information, but without Christ, without a relationship with Christ and His transforming work, we're nothing. And I've seen, I've read many, uh, many, and heard many, uh, Bible scholars. And they may possess an abundance of knowledge. But their lives were terrible. Why? Because though they had this knowledge, they never learned to abide in Christ. Let me just tell you, if, if our lives, you know, we, we love the Word of God. Amen. We do. We love the Word of God. But if my life does not become like Christ then what good is what I know? The Christian life is not about facts. I love doctrine. Be instant, in season, out of season. The Bible says reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We love doctrine. Doctrine matters. But if what I believe does not lead me to become more like Christ? We need to learn. We need to, we need to revisit the vine. And learn to spend time with Jesus. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me tonight. We're going to read here in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse number 10. We'll read down through verse number 14. There's just five Simple verses this evening. The Bible says this. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in, holy, in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. And Father, our prayer is that you would speak to us this evening from your word. Lord, we desire to hear from thee. Lord, we want to know you above all things and your will for our lives. Lord, we understand well that we need you. We cannot bear fruit of ourselves except we abide in the vine. Lord, we can't live the Christian life apart from Christ. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us tonight and show us some things this evening that we should keep in mind, that we, that we should not for, soon forget, that we should keep at the forefront of our minds as we go throughout this journey called life. Lord, we pray for your power this evening. Speak to us, Lord. Show us great and mighty things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 14. Again, as we've made our way through this passage, we've already previously noted two statements. Be mindful in verse number 2 and be not ignorant in verse number 8. But as we come down to verse number 14, the Bible says this, notice, wherefore beloved. Note the word beloved. And then in the middle of the verse, the Bible says be diligent. Beloved, be diligent. God wants you and me to be diligent. What does it mean to be diligent? The, the expression be diligent speaks of an immediate or prompt earnest effort. Uh, so it's an immediate response. It's something that we do not dilly-dally. How many of you like to use that word dilly-dally? Uh, we, don't, we don't really want to dilly-dally. We want to move and act quickly. It's, it's the response of our heart. So, so parents, we, ha we have children, you know. We, we thank God for our children. Uh, children are a heritage of the Lord. Even when they frustrate us at times. They're still a her our heritage from the Lord. We've got to love them and not kill them. Uh, but anyway, even though sometimes you probably feel like, what's wrong with these children? Have you ever, have you ever gotten to the point in your life where, where you're, you're trying to instruct your children and you give them instruction and there's a very slothful response? You know, if you go in my office... And on the very top shelf, as you walk in my door, there's a picture of a younger me. My wife looks the same. I look a lot different. My children oftentimes pick on me because I'm bald-headed. 
tell them, be careful lest I pull an Elisha on you. Right. But I told him, I said, listen, I never started to lose my hair till we had children. But we consider, we consider the, the, the desire of a parent to see an immediate prompt action stem from a command that we give. Amen? I believe that's right. I believe children, listen up kids, it's your, it's your job as a child to do what your parents say when your parents say it. Immediate obedience. And this is what God is calling us to, to live. A life of immediate obedience. He doesn't want us to be lazy in our response. He doesn't want us to be slothful. He desires that we live a life of earnesty. Understanding that, that the, the, the call of God on our lives requires action. Everyone in here this, this, uh, this evening has been called of God. We have been called of God to live a life that glorifies and honors the Lord. And in this, and in this calling, in this command, God desires an immediate, swift, and earnest response. So, we look here, look what the Bible says in verse number 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come. So Jesus is coming back. And then the Bible says in verse number 11, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, here's a great question that he asks. He says, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? See, the Lord has expectations. And for a preacher to get up and say that you can, you can live like the world all week and come to church on Sunday and worship the Lord, you know, we welcome everybody, but that's not God's desire. God does not want us to be hypocritical. God wants us to be consistent from Sunday to Sunday. You know, how we behave in, in the Lord's house today ought not simply be limited to today. We're to live godly, we're to live holy, and that's a scary word, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Because that's what God has called us to. In both of Peter's epistles, there's an, there's an undertone of this desire. There's a desire that God has, and it's, and it's, and it's clearly communicated. Uh, Peter understands well the, the call that God has placed upon our lives. Look, look with me, if you would, please, back in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, in verses 13 through 16, some of the most uh, well-known verses concerning this command that God has given. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober in hope, to the end that... The grace uh, that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Here we go. As obedient children. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Remember what did, he, what did the Lord say last week? Be not ignorant. Right? But the Bible says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. May I tell you, 
that holiness is not the objective. It's the byproduct. You know, so oftentimes we focus on the facade. You know, I used to try to part my hair a certain way. You know, we used to, I used to try to tie my tie a double Windsor knot. Could never figure it out. But when people could do it, man, they looked nice. You know, we like to polish our shoes and, and make sure our, our shirts are nice and pressed and, and that our clothes look great. We, we want to look the part. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, I believe we ought to give the Lord our very best. And I believe our appearance has a, has a lot of, to do with that. We want to we want to appear as, as well as we can for the Lord. Some people it's easier than others. But the reality is, holiness is not the objective. It's the byproduct. The byproduct of what? The byproduct of abiding in Christ. If you abide in Christ, he's going to make you what he wants you to be. We don't want to just focus on the exterior. God wants us to give attention to the interior. Look, stay in the same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Look in verse number 22. The Bible says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, on unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. It talks about the purification of our souls, being made right with God, living a life that glorifies and honors Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, we, again we find another, another statement. The Bible says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Talks about an honest, upstanding life, a life that is above reproach. Back in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible speaks of a life that is that is blameless in verse number 14. It's honest among the Gentiles. When people look at you, what do they do they condemn you because of your sin or do they condemn you because of Christ? I pray that they condemn me because of Christ, not because of my sin. And the Bible says in, in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter number 1, look there quickly, 2 Peter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, According to, as His divine power hath given unto all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has called us to live a life that is right. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in, in verse number 11, the Bible says, Seeing then that all these uh, things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Holy conversation. This, is a, this is, speaks of the entirety of your life. All of our life. It's more than what I say. It's what I do. It's my responses it's my actions. It's my attitude. And all these things stem from my heart where I must learn to abide in Christ. You see, the, the Christian's pursuit of holiness 
The Christian's pursuit of Jesus Christ is a New Testament principle driven and propelled along with the understanding that Jesus is coming back. It is, this desire is fueled by our Savior's return. Look what the Bible says with me in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through 14. The Bible says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And he says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and notice, and purify us, or I'm sorry, purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You see, God has called us to live godly lives. But look back in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we see this again in 1 John chapter 3, in verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Wow. That is a lot of love, isn't it? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It says, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. In verse 3, the Bible says, And every man that hath this hope, what is this hope? It's the hope of Christ's coming. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Christians, how are, how are we living tonight? The Bible tells us to be diligent in this matter of life. Be diligent to live a life that pleases God. Because all these things are going to soon pass away. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. How's your life? Have you been diligent? There's another command. Look back in 1 Peter. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. Speaking of diligence, the Lord wants us to give diligence to, the, to our faith. The Bible says in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter number 1, the Bible says, Wherefore the rather brethren give what? Give diligence. To make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. What, is, what are these things? These things are, are found in the list five, six, chapter five, uh, verse 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 1. The things that we're to add to our faith. We're to grow in our walk with Christ. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to give diligence to these things. Because these things help us live a life that pleases and honors Christ. I want to share with you three simple lessons tonight as we look here in these few verses. Because I want to live a life that honors and glorifies Christ. Don't you? 
I want my life to be what the Lord wants it to be. Uh, Not so much of what the world thinks it should be, but what God wants it to be. And I want to give diligence in this matter. So number one, notice tonight, we we must never forget God's mercy. Never forget God's mercy. Look back in chapter 3 and notice what the Bible says in verses 10 and 11. And notice, notice the description that, that God gives here. And I want you to think of something or someone that the Apostle Peter has already addressed here in, in this particular letter. Look at the verse 10 and 11. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Can you think of something or someone that that the apostle had already addressed in this letter concerning this, this burning up, this fervent heat, this dissolving of matter? Consider Lot. Look back in 2 Peter chapter 2. In just a moment, we'll read here, beginning in verse 6. But never forget God's mercy. All of our lives are pictures of God's grace. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Salvation. We don't deserve salvation. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve, which is His wrath and judgment. Grace and mercy are the opposite sides of the same coin. God's mercy, Christians, God's mercy for, on our lives is motivation to live righteously. For the grace of God, which bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace, mercy, they motivate. But as Peter writes, he he warns of God's future destruction here. That's what the Bible is referring to in verses 10 and 11. the, the, The coming destruction of the world. But he brings us back to 2 Peter chapter 2, where he highlights God's mercy in the life of a man named Lot. He delivered Lot from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 2, the, uh, it says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them uh, an ensample to those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. What, what did God do? Consider God's mercy. How this, this man who living openly in sin was spared from God's judgment, from God's wrath. When the Lord consumed the cities of the plain because of their abominable works. Within the last year, archaeologists in Israel 
discovered the remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah. There really wasn't a lot of remnants to be found. But there was evidence of a colossal fireball. The, 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 the rock formation, they, they bore the marks of, of the heat, the intensity of the inferno that came down and destroyed everything. Wasn't God, isn't God gracious to deliver Lot from that destruction? He lost his whole family, with the exception of his two daughters. But don't forget God's mercy. You know what Lot forgot? Lot forgot God's mercy. Not long after he was delivered, very, within, the, within a very short space of time, Lot allowed his daughters to make him drunk. And they went into their father and did terrible things. Shamed their father with the wickedness of their sin. Lot forgot the mercy of God. God's mercy motivates us to righteousness. If we forget God's mercy, we'll soon fall back into ungodliness, worldliness, and sin. Christian, don't forget God's mercy. Notice the second lesson that we find here, back in 2 Peter chapter 3 is that you and I, we must take advantage of our freedom. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God has made us free? Yeah, Here, I want you to look in verses 11 and 12, chapter 3. It says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. I want you to note the word dissolved there in verse number 11. It says, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved. Note that word dissolved once again. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Of course, the Lord is, is speaking of, of His destruction of, of the universe. But the word dissolved, I had you mark twice there, comes from the Greek word luo, meaning uh, to, to break up, to destroy, or to melt. In the Gospel records, the same word is translated unloosed. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 7, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, in John chapter 1 and verse 27, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 25, this word is used in connection with John the Baptist's declaration that he was unworthy to unloose or to untie the latchet of Christ's shoes. Look, listen to what the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Similarly, Christ used uh, that same word as he commanded that they loose Lazarus, who had been dead for four days and was bound in the grave. The Bible says in John chapter 11 and verse 44, And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin, Jesus saith unto him, Loose him, and let him go. Friends, there is coming a day when Christ, the Creator, and one by whom all things consist, loose the bounds of His creation, the untying of the atoms, and the fiery end of creation 
as we know it. Can you imagine the great work of God? That years ago, no one, we couldn't fathom the work of God. As, as he's described, what do you mean we're going to untie, we're going to loose all these things? It's all going to be dissolved. Have you ever heard the scientific term nuclear fission? The splitting of the atom? Everything is going to be, he's going to unloose everything. Those, those protons, those electrons, those neutrons are all going to be let go. And what happens when that takes place? A big bang. Maybe scientists had it right. They were just wrong at its timing, right? But the whole world is going to dissolve. It's going to be destroyed the heavens and earth, the earth are going to pass away. All things are become new. Revelation chapter 21, we read about that this morning, how, how the Lord prepared a new, new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. All of these things that we see are going to vanish away. But I want you to consider just for a moment that God has already unloosed you, or He's already loosed you from the bonds of sin. He's made us free. Would you look back in John chapter 8 with me, if you would, please? John chapter number 8. And notice our Lord's conversation, beginning in verse 31. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Verse 32 of John 8 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You're free. We were in bonds of sin, but now we're free. We've been forgiven. We've been loosed. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 33, They answered him, we, we be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Right. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. We're all sinners. We're all in the bondage of sin. But Jesus has made us free. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 35, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free... Ye shall be free indeed. Christians, you are free. The Lord has, has untied you from the bonds of sin. The Lord has taken off of all of those fetters, all of those chains, all of those trappings, and He has brought you up out of that miry pit. He has set your feet upon the rock, and He's established your going. You're free. You are no longer bound to serve sin. You've been liberated to serve the Lord. I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in the book of, of, of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 5. Concerning this, the truth of our, our Christian liberty. In Galatians chapter number 5, in verse number 1, the Bible says this. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again 
with the yoke of bondage. In other words, he's saying, don't allow yourself to become tied again, bound again by sin. The Lord has liberated you. He's loosed you from those bonds. Look what the Bible says in verse 13 of the same chapter. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. You and I, we've been, we've been blessed of the Lord, haven't we? We've been liberated, set free. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, the Bible says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You and I, we, we, don't have to, we no longer have to walk according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, we've been free. Christian, take advantage of your freedom. So oftentimes we look at, at our Christian faith the wrong way. We make something negative when God intended for it to be a positive. Too many times we hear people say, well, I can't do that anymore because, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, isn't that terrible? Yeah, it is. Amen. Well, you know, I, I, I can't have any more fun. You shouldn't want to sin. We look for occasions to sin, don't we? But that's not what Christ intends. He wants us to look for occasions to serve Him and to live for Him. We turn things upside down and we make them convoluted in our own minds. Instead, we should, we should view the Christian life, I get to serve the Lord God's delivered me from that train wreck over there, yes. from that dumpster fire of sin, and now I get to serve the Lord. May I tell you, the pleasures of sin only last for a season. But the blessings of God are forevermore. Christian, take advantage of your liberty. Take advantage of the freedom that you've received in salvation. Notice the final lesson that we find. Look back, if you would, please. Second Peter chapter number 3. It's a very simple lesson. Remember, our, we're, we want to give diligence to living uh, for the Lord. We want to be diligent in this matter of our Christian life. Therefore, we don't want to forget God's mercy. We don't want to entangle ourselves in sin. We want to take advantage of our freedom. And notice the last way that you and I can live a life that honors and glorifies Christ is simply this, to live for eternity today. Live for eternity today. Look what the Bible says in verses 13 and 14 of 2 Peter chapter 3. The Bible says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. 
Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. The word blameless there, of course, means to be unblameable, without fault. You and I are watchmen. And as watchmen, we, we cry to the city and warn them of coming danger. We're looking forward to the promise. What's the promise? The promise of Jesus' return. And I want to be found of Him without spot. I want to be found of Him being blameless. I don't want any blood on my hands. That's why we, we've gone to such great lengths this springtime trying to get the gospel out. Do you realize that's the only hope of our city? There are people flooding Columbus, Ohio today. There are 500 more homes in, in Pickerington today than there was a year and a half ago. 500. It's an incredible amount. Columbus, Ohio is now the 14th largest city in America. Why? Because for some reason, people are moving here. There's work to be had in Columbus. The largest demographic of new move-ins in Columbus, Ohio, are people from, of Asian descent. It could be Russian. It could be Chinese, Korean. There's a huge Nepali population not 10 minutes from us. Vietnamese. You know what? I may never go to Vietnam. I may never go to Nepal. I may never travel to India. The Lord is sending them here. It's expected that a contingency of Ukrainian refugees is headed to Columbus, Ohio. How many of you knew that? God is sending them to us. There's a danger. I don't know if you've ever heard the statement that sometimes we're so heavenly minded we're of no earthly good. I'm looking for the promise. I know Christ is coming back any moment. His word tells us so. But I don't want to forget what he's called us to. Is it possible to please the Lord with our lives and hide the gospel? Absolutely not. We must be diligent in our witness. We must seek to get the gospel out by all means necessary.
We need to live for eternity today. In Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17, the Bible says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. All of this that we live for is going to go away. It's all going to melt. It's all going to be burned up. And we're going to forget about it. Sometimes we, we like to forget about it, right? Well, one day, it will be forgotten. But you know what? That won't be forgotten. All those who come to know Christ as their Savior. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. All of this is going to be burned up. Let's stop living for this stuff. And begin living for eternity. Christians, beloved, be diligent. Be diligent. Don't forget God's mercy. Take advantage of your freedom in Christ. And live for eternity today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.